The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where we're working hard every single solitary week to be your public radio source of the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. The Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati has its second meeting for the month of May. Where did May go? I know it's only halfway over, but it feels like it's already, like next week is the last week before Memorial Day. Anyway, tomorrow. Tomorrow is the Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati meeting. And the uh, topic is uh, how to get a negotiation edge. Uh, A lot of our members are... Uh, more than a little concerned about the lack of inventory in the market, and they're looking for uh, ways to get a leg up on the com- the competition. And since we can't produce more deals for sale, one of the ways to do that, of course, is to be a better negotiator to get folks to their bottom line on your first phone call to uh, make sure that you are not alienating your sellers to do... A bunch of different things that actually can be learned, and that's going to happen tomorrow night at RIA of Greater Cincinnati. Uh, also, at the early meeting, uh, you get to choose between the basics of making money in rental properties, that is for the new investors, of course, or adventures in self-storage with one of our members, Sam Brewer, who uh, bought and repositioned and has now sold a self-storage unit, and we know a lot of folks are interested in self-storage investing, and he's a guy who's actually done it. So you can come and hear about uh, how he did it and ask questions and uh, whatnot. But first, you have to RSVP and tell us you're coming. And the way you do that is you go to CincinnatiRIA.com. That's CincinnatiREIA.com. And uh, that'll also give you the information about where the meeting is, times, etc. Now, uh, because if I don't remember to announce it now, next week will be, be too late. The Real Estate Investor Association of Greater Cincinnati now has a Northern Kentucky chapter. And the Northern Kentucky chapter is uh, its own, you know, own meeting once a month, uh, talks about issues as they relate to investing in Northern Kentucky. So, of course, it is open to not just folks who live there, but also who are uh, interested in making investments there. That meeting is on Tuesday, the 22nd. It's on the fourth Tuesday of every month. And 
again, it's open to the public. The uh, topic this month is how to find deals when you don't have good access to public records, which everybody in Northern Kentucky <laughs> knows what I'm talking about. Over here in Ohio, we're just like, oh, look who got foreclosed on. <laughs> just look it up in the on the internet. And in Kentucky, you go down to the courthouse and you bring a bag of muffins and you pray they're in a good mood that day. Like, there's just not the access that we have over here in Ohio. So uh, Derek Christian is going to talk about um, some online methods of finding deals when your offline methods aren't working so well. Uh, again, information about that at CincinnatiRia.com. My guest today is uh, Drew White, better known as Mr. Drew and also the presenter at tomorrow night's Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati meeting. In the interest of full disclosure, Drew is my business partner. In the interest of further disclosure, he thinks he's a great negotiator. <laughs> In the interest of further disclosure, he also kind of has uh, some uh, evidence to back that up since he has done somewhere in the range of 800 real estate deals. And uh, Mr. Drew thinks that your negotiation technique probably sucks. That's what he told me before we got on the show. Indeed. He said I, I was asked. He said he said most most real estate investors I meet, they're terrible at negotiation. They have no idea what they're doing. It's a miracle that anybody but me ever gets a deal. That's what he said. He said, but the way these other people talk, I'm not sure how we're not getting every deal in the entire world. And uh we're gonna open by just asking the question why? Why are you so convinced that so many real estate investors are bad negotiators? And and like, what is it? What is it that makes them bad negotiators in your mind? No, oh, okay. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to address that. First of all, uh, it's nice to meet you, Vina. Thanks for instructing me to be on tonight. I I appreciate the opportunity, um, and uh, I I will try to do a a good job tomorrow at the at the big RIA main stage shindig so it will be fun for the whole family actually it's not really kid friendly so ignore that ignore that last statement entirely um so are you are you asking me basically in a nutshell why do other people suck at negotiation when it's so obviously easy are you needing to rephrase my question already this early in the show sure did you I'm not just, like the way i asked I'm, that question? I'm just trying to establish dominance over the microphone uh. <laughs> yeah okay so the 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 top kind of few reasons um that why people well let me not let me just say not why i think people are, are bad negotiators but frankly why they are um First and foremost, I think we live in a culture where negotiation is only socially acceptable under very specific circumstances. If you are at a garage sale, you're expected to try to talk them down from a dollar fifty to seventy five cents for some, you know, ridiculous thing that no one needs for a Tupperware lid or something. Um and there it's okay. It's okay. Uh, at car dealerships, although, man, they really, they keep trying again and again and again to get away from that model. No, we're a no-dicker dealership. This is, you have, what's on the sticker is the price you pay. Um, but car dealerships are another one. And there are a couple like that. But everything outside of that, it's just not done here. It's just not done here in America. And so people are not familiar with the concept, and they are feeling way outside their comfort zone. And I think the the things that inform that are 
they when people feel uncomfortable with it because they are afraid of looking cheap some of them some of them are afraid of looking like they simply can't afford the thing that they're negotiating for uh, whether they could easily afford it or not they're afraid of the other party perceiving that they have to negotiate because they can't pay the money uh, be that for you know whatever a printer or, or a tchotchke um, and I think there's also because of that cultural unfamiliarity uh, there is a fear of offense that I'm going to try to negotiate with you and you're going to be taken aback by that and you're going to be like oh my gosh what in the world what what is he trying to do and that's going to create social awkwardness and you're going to be unhappy with me and a lot of people um you know are just don't like that at all they're afraid of making others angry at them and they've had the experience i'm sure of uh being unexpectedly negotiated with i think i think we've sure. all we've all had that happen where um you know, we had a car for sale in Craigslist or something, and mm-hmm. somebody somebody calls and says, "Oh, hey, I saw your 1969 Chevy station wagon for sale in Craigslist. Would you take half that much?" Like, yeah. like they just they, you know, some people are, some people some people seem like like they're aggressively trying to pin you down to something well before. The time has come. I know. And it, um, in most cases, it's because they've written or they've read one of a dozen really terrible books about negotiation. And, uh, you know, they, they're taught to get their licks in early and be super aggressive right from the word go. But it's, it is shocking. It is. When, yeah, it when is. Somebody, when somebody does something to you like that, you just feel like, I, I don't know what to say and still be polite here. Like, I, this, this just doesn't seem, I mean, I feel slightly besmirched by what has just happened here and I, maybe part of it is that uh, our real estate colleagues feel like they're doing the same thing in reverse to somebody when they say you want 165000 for your house I can give you ninety. well sure and that's where like the, probably the, the single biggest reason why people aren't good at it is because they don't have enough experience with it. They don't practice it. They don't get in the, in the trenches and, and actually learn because in the beginning you're going to make mistakes. Um, I, I tell that to, to people who, who occasionally come to me for advice and I say, let's go ahead and get the mistakes over with, right? Let's get in there and get all the screw-ups behind you, or at least most of them, and get a little blooded. And that's how you're going to learn. You learn from error. You don't learn from success. So they are making that mistake or fearing that making that error about how they're going to come across simply because they don't have enough experience yet. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Fina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Mr. Drew. We're talking about negotiation. And, uh, of course, negotiation could be with any number of other parties. Your sellers, yes, or buyers, tenants, contractors, your spouse, your children. Uh, you can you negotiate every day of your life. So And should. Well, while, while we've got him here... Why don't you call with any negotiation questions or better yet conundrums? If you've had a situation where you found yourself uh, feeling shocked or feeling like you had shocked someone or 
uh, you just you, you feel like you really messed it up. Uh, why don't you man or woman up and give us a call and tell us about it? And Mr. I'd Drew, love that. Ms. That would that would be great if someone would actually call and say, "Here's when something went completely off the rails," or "Here's what I'm not sure to say." Like in real time, yeah, stump me. I ain't scared. The number, and I, I've been, I've been, I've been asked repeatedly over the last few weeks by listeners to stay, say this number slow, more slowly. It is eight seven 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 two nine six five eight. Now that you fumbled around and gotten your phone out, let me say it again: eight seven 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 two. 9658 or you can send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Mr. Drew, who is also my business partner, has been literally longer than I can remember, and uh, is here to talk about your negotiation fears and foibles in in honor of his his presentation tomorrow night at Cincinnati RIA, uh, where he's going to go through some specific negotiation techniques with folks and give some examples of uh more it's more like creative thinking than it is negotiation. A lot of it, yeah, yeah. It's it's not just what the the sort of classic negotiation that most people talk about and that most people fear. Um, I tend to refer to as like hammer and tong or nail and claw negotiation. And it's, it's, you know, a hateful ritual where you say, I want 70 and I say, I can pay 60 and you say, well, I'll take 69. And I say, well, I might be able to come up to 61 and I go, Oh my God, that's so it's, it's hardly ever productive and you know, God knows it's tedious and uh, it's easy to get distracted by it and get wrapped up into um, I am trying to get you down off your price rather than I'm trying to get what I need out of the deal. And in real estate, there's almost always a, a plan B. It's almost it, it, it almost always is the case that if I want to pay 60 and you want 70, it's not it's not well, I can do 61, end of story. It's I can do 61 or I can pay you every dime of 70, mm-hmm. but I need you to take that in payments of $350 a month for the next 200 months. Sure. So there's a there's a, there's an aspect to real estate negotiation that just flat out has to do with education. It just had, flat out has to do with if I said pay 350 a month for the next 200 months, would you even know and and somebody said yes, that sounds great. Would you know what that was called, or how to document it, or how to of make sure it was I all? Would. I've been in this business a long time. I'm not talking to you. There's there's You're other. Looking at me. Do you understand that? There, I'm going to turn around. Do you understand that there are people who are outside of this room here well, that look, are listening to us? This is crack engineer Mike Martini. But I thought <laughs> he, this was a podcast. He, he, he beat the crack addiction. Oh. <laughs> um, I should. I should say exemplary engineer then. <laughs> so, so saying again out to the audience, there's there is definitely an aspect that is pe- people who know more about real estate are better negotiators just because they know they know more solutions to offer. However, if you wait to start negotiating until you feel like you know all of those different things, you are just never going to do a deal. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If you, what's the expression? If you wait until you know everything before you do anything, 
you're just going to die lonely eaten by your cats or something like that. Well, that last part isn't correct, but yeah, but cliche there, but, but yes. So, so the initial, um, the initial types of negotiation that most real estate investors do when they're first starting really are about, it's, it's about the numbers. It's about the money. Mm -hmm. It's about, I can't pay more than this because my bank won't finance more than this, or I can't pay more than this because your property can't afford it. There's even a much better way of doing that though, than going, well, okay, I could do 61, (laughs) you know, give a reason for it, give a story to it, give a, you know, give them something else, or at least the appearance of something else, rather than just saying, well, I'm going to come up in numbers as slowly as I can until I reach my breaking point. Okay. So big talker. Yeah. Role play that with me. I want 70 for my house. Tough. Take a walk. You really you do not <laughs> want that to happen. Like this, this show ends if I leave this room. No, I am. I am. I am completely kidding. I am. I'm, I'm just teasing. Boy, she looks so happy right now. We should live Because inside this. jokes go over really, really well on the radio. That's why. The audience loves the peek behind the curtain. Okay, so uh, so the scenario is we're going to do that whole seventy for my house. Things? Yes. Okay, so I, based on what I've seen of your house so far, what I know of of your house so far, and my however many years of experience in it, and knowing that neighborhood as I do, I'm having trouble supporting that number myself. Can you explain to me how you came up with it? Well, that's what I need. Okay. I'm buying another house. Okay. And you need $70,000 in cash to pay for the next house? Well, that's just going to make the down payment, but yeah. Okay. So if you don't get your $70,000 in cash, do your dreams turn to ashes and just nothing happens from there? I mean, what happens if you put it on the market and it doesn't sell? It doesn't sell. Well, I stay here. Okay. If I can't get the $70,000, I can't buy my other house. Okay. So if. And you need all $70,000 for your down payment. That that must be quite an impressive house that you're buying. You don't look that I successful. Like <laughs> I'm kidding. Again, Vina always says, don't try to use humor because people are literal minded uh, and I just can't help myself. So ignore that last statement. <laughs> you were going to tell me how you were going to get me down to $61,000. Yes, indeed. So um, uh, is that is that my strike price, 61? You said it, not me. Okay. Um, okay. So if you, you were literally going to be making a payment of $70,000 and your house is free and clear now? Yes. Okay. And do you have any past due taxes or anything like that? Well, I mean, that'll take care of it. Okay. So what's, what's the real number that you need to, to like walk away from the table from? $70,000. Okay. But you just told me that you were going to pay the taxes and, out of that, right? Right. And then I will have $67,000 when I leave the table. Okay. So really what you need is $67,000? Yes, except that won't pay my taxes, so I need $70,000. Sure. And and I understand. But, you know, there, there are a couple of ways of skinning a cat here. You know, so um, I, I just want to know what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to get in your business deeper than I have to. I'm not trying to irritate you. The more I know about you and your situation and, you know, kind of the, the whole house, uh, the more ways I'm going to be able to try to think of to solve the problem. 
So that's that's what I'm trying to do. Um, the problem is that my math and experience are telling me that I'm probably not going to be able to do even the $67,000 that you need. So I'm just trying to explore other avenues and see if there's some way that you can get what you actually need and I can get something that makes sense to me. Well, I don't see how I can buy my house with less than $67,000. I know how much my house costs. I know how much my bank will loan me. I need $67,000. Mm-hmm. And so what you're going to do is just give up. I mean, do you have any other sources of income? If this doesn't work, do you have a do you have a pot of, of capital to dip into? No, that's why I need the $67,000. Okay. Um, so this is going to be a you making a formal down payment to the bank yes okay <laughs> you're smiling like you're up to something i'm smiling What's... because i because you can't seem to find your way out of this <laughs> yeah well hey uh so i don't know if this is if this is the point that you were trying to make or if you just like torturing me not every deal can be done i mean that's that's the maybe part of the lesson here is that in real estate investing our offers get rejected a lot more than they get accepted, you know, and that's just the nature of the game. And if you were the kind of person who cannot stand that, if that makes you lose sleep at night or makes you feel bad about yourself or makes, you know, is going to throw you into a depression, um, that's something to be aware of. Um, the, most of the offers that we make get rejected sometimes because they weren't presented correctly sometimes because the deal is simply not doable my experience in in coaching like a lot of people uh, over the over the last 15 years or so has been that most of the time if you don't get a deal it's not that you fatally mess things up. I mean, you just can't turn an unmotivated seller into a motivated seller no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. It's also not that you turned off a, a really motivated seller. It's not, it, you didn't, you didn't mess up by not convincing somebody who couldn't sell at your price and terms to sell at your price and terms. And it's not that you messed up by taking somebody who could have done it and completely turning him off. It's that you didn't make the offer at all. You had a motivated seller Maybe you didn't recognize the motivation because you hadn't asked the right questions. He said 70 and you just never said anything other than 70. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a that's a surefire way to never get a deal is be so afraid of offending someone or or not sounding like you can afford the property or whatever that you don't even let the words come out of your mouth. This is what I can pay you. Mm-hmm. Let's go to Roger on line one who's calling from San Antonio. Roger, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi, Vina and Drew. Hi there. Uh, I've I've wondered over the years, is it a good thing to ask, how did you come up with that figure? Oh, so asking, you're you're asking the seller. So the seller has said, I want 70. Yes. And Is it a good question to ask? How did you come up with that? Uh, yeah, I would say that most of the time it's a very good question. I I like that question a lot more when I am question when I am uncertain about their logic behind what they're asking. So uh, one of the things that 
that you've probably heard Venus say on the show, if you're a regular listener, is she's not going to argue with a seller. If the seller says, I want 70 for my house, she's not going to say, your house isn't worth that. You know, (laughs) what in the world? Are you crazy? Um, But instead, she will say, and you heard me kind of echo this during our little role play there. um, Well, I'm not sure that I can figure out how you got there. Can you explain to me how you got there? So if if someone asks something that I think is sort of comfortably in my wheelhouse as their their first ask for their price, I'm not necessarily going to ask that question. If I think it's some something that's already within my strike range that I think I can work with, but particularly when they are higher than I think I'm going to be able to pay, that's that's a pretty good maybe not an opening line, but in the first part of the conversation. And I think it is important to make it conversational rather than confrontational. Um, I am a very big believer in uh, friendly is more important than professional when, when dealing in these fields. So I, when I'm talking to a seller or whomever, uh, I try to stay very conversational. So I, if, Roger, you say, I want 70 for my house. I'm, I am not going to say, well, okay, how'd you even come up with that? I'm going to say, oh, okay, so how'd you get there? Did you get it appraised, or did you look at comps in the neighborhood, or kind of what's the story there? Well, Roger, right. do you ask that question? I have, yes. And what sort of answers, have, what, what sort well, of answers have you gotten? I've learned a little bit more about them, as, as Drew said earlier. He wanted to know more about them and their situation, and uh, it, it's it's a it's a better uh, it's a better it's somehow more decent than saying, "Well, that's ridiculous." <laughs> what are you nuts? <laughs> sure. Um, so, so have you ever gotten an answer to that question that flummoxed you? That you were just like, "You what now?" <laughs> no, it usually leads on to uh, an explanation of why they think that uh, that something that that seems ridiculous in a way is, uh, does not seem ridiculous to them. Mm. And so you learn a little bit more about them and how motivated they are. Have you ever and had I, a have you ever had a seller tell you that they're asking the price they're asking because they got an appraisal on it but that appraisal was back like in 2006? No, I have not. It'll come. I've heard that one. I've heard. I've yeah. heard. I've heard people say, you know, oh, I, I got an appraisal, and I, and so, you know, the follow up is, oh, what was the purpose of the appraisal, right? Like, why did you get an appraisal? Because that's actually not something that people normally do when they're getting ready to sell their house. It's something they normally do nope. when they're getting ready to <laughs> refinance their house, right? So, I want to know, did you just refinance your house, right? And they'll say, oh, well, you know, it was when I it was when I got my bank loan back in 2006. Oh, wasn't that the bank loan that we were just talking about was way too much? You know, <laughs> have you ever have you ever right. had somebody say something, something that was completely disconnected from the house? Like I'm asking 70 because uh, I want to buy a camper and that's how much the camper costs. Right. Those are always funny, right? Like, like I want it. I want it because right. uh, that's how much I want. Yeah, that's that's what I need. So it, it's they're like just they're not even... not that 
specific. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say I'd say probably ninety ninety percent of the time it's something more like, well, I you know I looked it up or I know what people are selling it for, or that's what I owe, or so, something that's more expected. But it's the unexpected answers that tend to throw people when they haven't talked to ten thousand sellers already, right? So right. Uh, so that 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 um, that tragic role play that Drew and I just did a couple of minutes ago. That was that was one of the examples of you know sometimes people connect what they want for the house not to the value of the house, but to something else that they're trying to get, and in their minds that's the only the only solution is I have to sell my house for this much. And uh, one thing that Drew did do right was he he asked me if I had other options. You know if I if I can't sell it for that price. Is there some other money right. I can get? Is there some other way I can do what I'm trying to do? Because honestly, sometimes your sellers haven't thought it through that much. Yes, true, true. It's usually something they've heard conversationally with neighbors. Yes. How they pick up ridiculous information. Oh, yes. I can't tell you how many people I've had to say. They've said, well, my my neighbor's house just sold for 80 and it's smaller. And so, you know, of course, you get on the computer, right? And you you look up the sales right. and you say, well, which neighbor is this? Oh, 123 Alamo? Um, right. 123 Alamo sold for 55. I'm looking right. at the I'm looking right. at the public record and then they're all shocked that their neighbor lied to them. But but it does what you need it to do, which is reset their expectations about what their house is worth. Yes, yes. Well, thank you so much for talking about this subject. I'm looking forward to hearing other things. Thank you. Thank you, Roger. It's good to talk to you. Bye. You too. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We're talking negotiation with Mr. Drew. And, you know, you, you folks who are avoiding are avoiding sending out mail because you don't want to take the calls because you don't want to negotiate. If if they're even being honest enough to admit that to <laughs> you, themselves, yes. You folks who are constantly getting ready to get ready because the human factor is too hard to consider and it's so much easier. Just go get your real estate license and then set up your software and then get your LLC name. One one way to step across your your the circle of comfort there is give us a call and say, here's what I'm afraid of about negotiation and let us talk to you about it. The way you would call us is 877-772-9658. Or you can send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I think we've discovered the secret of getting people to call the show and that is say the number solely and also harangue them because you know usually usually it's like it's like oh if you're at work and you don't want your boss to know you're listening to real life real estate you can send us an email and we get a lot of emails but uh, today we're getting lots of phone calls so let's talk to robert who's calling on line one from centerville ohio robert welcome to real life real estate Hi, how you doing? Good, good, doing good, Robert. How are you? Not bad. Uh, I think this is relevant because basically I'm right in the middle of a negotiation right now. And I've tried to employ the tactics you mentioned, um, or um, the ones I was aware of. And I think I negotiated at a fair price, but it was also contingent on the property condition. 
And after I looked at the property, I realized it, it definitely needed more work than uh, I originally anticipated. And so I, I'm, I'm going back to the seller. I'm trying to, you know, uh, make them aware that, you know, what I thought was maybe a few thousand is actually five or five to ten thousand. And now that seller is stuck on my original offer that I made him, and it, and he's very, very. Very seems very set now in his ways that I gave him this offer, and he's not now not going to budge. Um, okay. Other than maybe laying out exactly the details of what I think it will take to uh, fix the place, is is there any other strategy other than that? Well, let, before before I throw this over to Mr. Drew, let me let me cl- let me ha- have you uh, clarify a little bit here for both me and the listeners. Did you make the seller? An offer in writing, uh, or was it a verbal? Yes, unfortunate. No, uh, there's nothing unfortunate in, about it. If it was contingent no, on no, no, is 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 I, I wrote it down for him. Yes. Okay. And had you seen the property before you made the offer? Uh, very. No, I never. No, I I was walked into the property, but at the time I did not do a very close inspection of it. Okay, and I assume the seller was there when all that happened, so he saw that you did not do. A thorough inspection, right? No, yeah, he should be. He's well aware that I did not do it. And your inspection. and your written offer was contingent upon clear title and, and and property condition. Right? Okay, which which is that's so common. Like it would be it would be worth it would be worth stating if it hadn't been that way because every buyer of real estate, effectively every buyer, uh, puts something in that says, "By the way, if it turns out not to be in the shape I thought it was in." Then we have to talk again. I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pay you this price if it turns out that the my right. estimate of condition was was way under. So everything you've told me so far is very fair, but now this seller has this number that you named in in his brain, right. and he's not he's not wanting to to do anything else. So what what is the number you named? I named uh, fifty six thousand. And what is the number you now want to pay? I think it's a fair to pay fifty-two. Do you do you think that he owes anything on the property? Uh, no, he actually he purchased this property less than a year ago, and he actually used his IRA money to buy it. So he paid cash for anyway. it. Yeah, okay. he paid cash. He paid sixty-three. See, and that's the other thing. He he wants to get as close as he. You know, he only lived in it for a year, even though he did little to nothing to fix it up. So he's already taking a big hit. And, what what is your goal with the property? I want to rent it out. Wow, you've got a great option here that I gu- I'm guessing your uh, seller is going to take. But I'm going to throw this over to Mr. Drew. Okay. Okay. Um. Hey. Um. So Hi. let me let me give you the the magic words that I use when uh, I have to go back to a seller and say the inspection turned something up. And now we need to talk about a new price. So uh, this is given uh, human, human beings are fascinating animals and there are some things that just work a really high percentage of the time. And I could, if we had endless time, I would love to theorize about why that is, but this is one of the things that just seems to work an awful lot instead of going to him and saying, Hey, look, man, um, I'm just going to have to lower my offer because of this extra stuff, because that gets them to dig their heels in. 
and I don't think it's too late for you to to apply this technique you need to go back to him and say again here's the story it has turned out to be more work than I anticipated so I I'm not going to be able to do the original number I I simply can't so I'm gonna leave it up to you do you want to try to find someone else to buy it or do you want to discuss a new fairer price and there the the magic in that is giving the seller the option when they when they feel like even if it's like some false binary choice um, mm-hmm. the, when they feel like they get to choose that takes all the the pressure and the feeling of being boxed in off of them and it puts them in a place where they can go ahead and make sort of a, an intelligent and thoughtful choice. So I know that sounds like such a simple little thing, but it is enormously effective. So you okay. you say to them, do you want to try to sell it to someone else and start from scratch? Or would you prefer to talk about uh, a new fairer price? Okay. Oh, no, that's ex- ex- an excellent idea. I was... I wasn't going to preface it about uh, are you going to sell it to someone else because actually <laughs> here's another little bit of tidbit information I, I haven't put in. But I've gotten so many different numbers, I, I I don't know what to believe. Basically, he's had other investors look at this. Of course people. he has. Yeah, don't, the, don't, put that well, out of your mind entirely. Don't let that affect yeah. you. Because, yeah. because I know, I'm not. And, <laughs> and well, actually, part of the problem is... <laughs> My uh, daughter is currently living there, and she has been feeding me inside information, which is maybe an advantage. But oh, and he may uh, he may think you're more motivated than you are because your daughter is living there. But let right, me right. let me let me suggest another alternative now that you've absorbed Mr. Drews. How much does your daughter pay in rent? She's actually. <laughs> That's part of the reason he uses this other place. She's not really been paying rent on time. Okay, so you're going to evict her immediately. <laughs> oh, yeah, I have to evict her. And, yeah. and what, what should she be paying? <laughs> she should be paying at least 400 a month. How big is this 50, house, 50. Robert? It's a 1,000-square-foot townhome-style condo. In where? In Centerville, Centerville, Ohio. It's Washington Township, actually. I, I mentioned it to you at the RIA. This past weekend, and, and it's uh, right behind the Whole Foods. It's an yeah, Robert, you should be getting a lot more than four hundred for this. Yeah, buddy, four hundred dollars well, a I month. I mean, that's fifty-fifty. Is... 50. That's eight hundred for the the rent, and four hundred would be her share of the rent. Oh, she, oh. She's, uh, okay. She's, oh, she's, she's got, got a roommate. Okay. We're, yeah, we're about to lose our minds up in here. For okay. a no, second. no, no, no. It's not four hundred. So eight hundred, eight hundred a month is the rent that it it could be getting. Yeah. What, what is the yes. what is the HOA fee? Uh, only one hundred and ten dollars a month. What is the tax? And that's where it's Washington Township. That's where they kill you. It's 150 a month. Wow, that's a lot of tax. It's a very high tax for a property. It's really only worth sixty thousand fixed up. That's and Washington Township for you, though. Does the it's very expensive? Does the um, does the uh, condo fee include insurance or not? Uh, that I didn't ask. Okay, that's a question you need to know the answer to. Yeah, you also need to see a copy of the, um, what's that called, the HOA agreement? Well, actually, I already reached out to the HOA lady, and she said, well, since I don't own it yet, she can't show me. But she told me. I I don't believe that either. (laughs) uh, She told me basically what I needed to know, that, you know, pets, 
you can't have any pets over 25 pounds. Well, uh, and if she told you no something. There's no restrictions on tenants or how many people you rent. I told her I'm going to rent the place. I said, there's no restrictions on that. Okay. You so, need to see that document anyway. Okay. So yeah. by my math, um, your, your net after HOA taxes, maintenance and management, and I'm going to go ahead and put an insurance number in here because we don't know if the HOA covers the insurance, but that right. leaves you $340 a month. That's what I, I, I was also anticipating, three to 400 Well, just figure 340 because that, okay. that's, that's the right number. <laughs> so, so It's like a magic trick watching her do this. So he wants, his, his, his number is 56000 yeah. If you divide that by three hundred and eighty dollars a month, that's hundred and forty seven months. Right. Why don't you go back to him and say, I will give you every dime of what you want. The way I'd like to do that is I'd like to give you a hundred and forty seven dollars and thirty seven cents a month. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I'd, I'd like to give you I'd like to give you three hundred and forty dollars a month for a hundred and forty seven months. Three hundred and forty dollars a month. Three well, forty a month for one hundred and forty seven months. Right. And um, I will also give you five payments up front because I know you, I know you are going to need to cover some sales costs, because right. because Robert, the thing about this that we have not discussed, mm-hmm. that's very important, is he owns it in his IRA, which means right. he can't access the money anyway. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if he gets it. All right now, or if he gets it over the course oh. of the next 147 months, he has equal access to it either way. Right. And what you're effectively doing by offering him the higher price with payments is sort of offering him interest exactly. on his money. Right. So there's there's my numbers say, don't get into it personally, right? It's not right. personal. My numbers say uh, 52000 The way my numbers right. would not say 52000 is if you let me pay $340 a month for the next 147 months, that is your 58000 that you want. Right, right. Well, actually, I try to take that technique, too. Not quite those numbers, but I basically offered, because originally he wanted 60. I mean, he was stuck on that. And I was going to pay him, but I did a combination, like you said, uh, notes, uh, a cash up front and some notes. And he threw up his hands and said, no, I want all cash. Okay. And I could I could revisit that. I could ask him again, hey, now that we're getting further in negotiation, and I, you know, the price, I'm going to have to, you know, realistically, with the amount of work to be done, I, I, this is really what I think is fair enough <clears throat> and what I can do. And then if he's stuck at that point, I probably re- will revisit, okay, if you're really now stuck on 56K, um, I'm going to do it. I would go all the way up to 60 at 300 okay. a month for 200 months. Because you realize that three hundred a month for two hundred months is it's a no interest deal and it's it's the equivalent of paying much less than what you're offering to pay if you have to borrow the money. Yeah, oh no, I agree. I agree. So, I agree. So you know, why doesn't he want why does he want cash? I don't know. Why I doesn't well he wants to he wants to move out of state. He doesn't want to stay in Ohio. His IRA is going to stay with equity trust well, or whomever no matter where he goes. <laughs> I know. I, I can't well I is you know, he's a little Lightheaded, but is it is it possible that he thinks is it possible he thinks you're not going to pay him? Yeah, I think he doesn't trust the idea of receiving payments. Okay, um, tell him that you have a way that that you have an attorney who can set up a way 
that if you don't make the payments, he can get the money, he can get the property back without having to foreclose on you. Right. I think I'm, I don't recall if I mentioned that, but I think I did briefly say that, but that, I think I went over his head. He's not a very sophisticated person. Okay. So here's, here's, well, he did buy a property in his IRA, so I wouldn't underestimate his... <laughs> well, I wouldn't say he bought it within his IRA. I think he actually cashed out an IRA. He took a distribution, so he already paid the taxes. Ay, ay, ay. Okay. So <clears throat> I would go all the way up to $60,000 at 300 a month for 200 months. And the other thing I want you to remember is he is in a bad situation because he's not getting rent from your daughter. So if he doesn't oh, sell to you... Yeah, I know he is. If he doesn't sell to you, he's got to evict his tenants, which is going to mean that now he's got a an HOA fee and taxes every month that he's not getting back. Right. If his okay. lease isn't written right, he probably can't evict his tenants because it sounds no, like no, only I one know. of them is is not paying the rent. So <laughs> right. he is he is not in a good position. And, oh, I know he's in a terrible position. And you need to you need to go back and and give him you know A B A is fifty two thousand. B is, I can give you every dime you want, but it's going to have to be this way. C is, I got to walk. What what would you like to do oh, here? Okay. And okay. then, uh, and then follow up with him in a month or so. Yeah. If he says no, if he says I can't do that, leave it friendly. Don't burn any bridges. Right. And you know, just okay. say, uh, well, okay. my offer is good. You know, yeah. Just let me know. And then and then call him again in three weeks. And say, okay. hey, I'm just checking in. Did you dispose of that property? Are you still looking for an option there? Well, I'm right. still interested if, if you want to talk about that some more. You get okay. the soft agreement first. You know, so okay. don't say, if you're willing to accept my offer. Say, hey, if you're willing to talk about it some more. Because if he oh, agrees to talk okay. about it some more, you're 90% of the way there. Okay. Okay, that's a good idea. I wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah, don't be a motivated buyer. Robert, okay. If he can't, okay. if he can't uh, take one of sense. your two options, feel free to walk away for right now. And come back away. in a month. Okay. And no, if this works out, myself. tell your daughter that okay. you're going to hate to evict her, but you will if you have to. <laughs> She's already making planning to make the move. Okay. Good. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you. A lot. Thank you for your call, advice. Robert. Now okay. we should do okay. this. We should do this show once a month. We can just like solve help, people's help real people negotiate. Problems. Oh, I, would, I would actually enjoy that. Oh, well, it's not going to happen, so give it up. Um, well, I want to drive all the way up here to do it. So, we could, I'd call in from my living room or something. So um, we have one more question that we, we're going to be able to answer that came in by uh, email from JC in Las Vegas. Can you folks discuss how to avoid the topic of your profit, how much you're going to make, or what you're going to do with the property when talking to a seller? I've heard that you should not bring these things up, but sometimes it seems like they bring them up and I don't know how to avoid them. Sure. So, yeah, I I will, you know, chew off my own arm to avoid talking about what I'm going to make on a deal. Um, I avoid it by I never bring it up. I don't even suggest it. Um, and when they bring it up on the very I, I think that you're probably informing that conversation more than you're aware of. I think you are you are subtly not bringing it up, but leading them. Yeah. To like saying question. things like, I'm not going to make enough money if I pay you that price. Yeah. <laughs> <Amen>. <laughs> you know? So it is, it is very rare. I mean, very rare that a seller brings up that concept to me about, you know, what am I, what am I going to make out of it or whatever? And the way I punt it right back 
is I will simply say, well, yeah, of course, the deal has to make sense for me. I've got to be fair to myself. And then I move on. I, you know, I, it is, it is barely an ellipsis. It's not even a, like a full stop new paragraph. I say that line and then I keep talking about something else. And, you know, it, I've never had anyone go, well, wait, 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 back up and let's revisit that thing about how much money you're going to make. Again, it's a, it's kind of a simple answer, but it's an effective one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You got anything? And well, and, and just don't, don't worry too much about, you know, again, it's, it's hard to turn off a motivated seller. Mm-hmm. It's hard to turn on an unmotivated, like it's possible to turn on an unmotivated seller. So the worst mistake you can make is not letting it, letting it be known that you're going to make $30,000 off the rehab. Although I agree, we try and try and not say numbers like that because, uh, you know, a seller actually thinks that number is 30,000. They don't realize it's 30,000 <laughs> less Six months of heartache and sales costs and finance costs yes. that are much higher than what they would pay and, 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 and. So uh, avoid it. But if you accidentally find yourself saying it anyway, it's probably not going to make that much of a difference in your negotiation. So uh, thanks, callers, for your calls this evening. Thanks, Mr. Drew, for being here. And remember, folks in the Cincinnati area, you can come see more Mr. Drew tomorrow night at the Cincinnati RIA meeting. In fact, if you have any negotiation questions, I'm sure Mr. Drew will be willing to hang around after his presentation up to 1030 or 11 o'clock to no. sit and do negotiation no reviews with you. Uh, CincinnatiRia.com for more information. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.